Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, North Stormberry. This is Glaze on Tech. I am Eagle Falcon. So, first things first, I do need to apologize for this week's episode being really late. Um, I may or may not talk about it later on in the episode in greater detail, but basically, um, a lot of things came kind of crashing down at um, all at once, and uh, uh, basically, I've been like frantically trying to figure out where to move because all of a sudden that's now a thing I have to do and I have 60 days to do it so it's great but that is that I mean the episode is better late than never right especially when you got and I actually did contemplate just not doing an episode just saying I'm sorry life's being too crazy right now but when you have news like Elon Musk buying Twitter that the deal actually is going through after it looked like we were poised for a very interesting legal financial battle that we basically never ever see just to see the Twitter board kind of accept the deal it's baffling basically at this point Elon proposed to buy Twitter at 44 billion dollars the board has accepted the deal. It must now, and this is key because no one is talking about this because everyone else apparently would much rather just panic about everything rather than actually, actually, realistically, just talk about it. Wow. Actually talk about the real news. So the de- first off, Let's get one thing straight right now. As of the time of recording this podcast right now, the owner of Twitter is the current Twitter board. It's not Elon Musk. Elon Musk hasn't bought Twitter yet because the purchase has to go through both A, the shareholders of Twitter. Because Twitter is a public company, the shareholders do have a say in the company. Shocking, I know. And then it goes through the usual legal rigmarole, like you know, Activision Blizzard is in right now, having to be approved by the SEC, the same SEC that is currently slow walking a few... A few things in regards to that, as they're doing an investigation Elon Musk regarding his purchase of the original 9.2% of Twitter. So, Verge and Gadget, literally freaking 90% of the news outlets out there. I almost never hit the swear button on here, but I feel like I have to. Stop f***ing lying! You're feeding massive amounts of misinformation and just feeding this frenzy of stupid, especially The Verge. Like The Verge has already been kind of a joke, but holy cow, the day the deal broke, they had dozens of articles talking about all the terrible things that are gonna happen to Twitter now because Elon Musk bought bought Twitter. Elon hasn't bought Twitter. 
And the only reason I'm not shouting that into the microphone right now is because I'm recording this pretty late at night. Because trying to find a time to record this podcast has been a challenge, to say the least. So, I once again want to state this much. Elon has not done anything with Twitter yet. Elon has a bad habit of anytime he says he's going to do something, of not doing it. Because something ends up getting ahead of the words that came out of his mouth. So, before everyone starts panicking about what is and isn't going to happen to Twitter, how about first you pay attention to who the freaking owner is? What an insane concept! I feel like I'm taking crazy pills and I'm not even exaggerating. Holy cow. <sighs> so, to reiterate, Elon, not owner of Twitter. Currently, Elon is poised to be owner of Twitter but still has to meet the approval of both shareholders and government boards, one of which, the SEC, is investigating Elon Musk because of his original purchase of the 9.2% of shares of Twitter potentially not being done properly. All right. Do we have that straight? Because I'm not going to lie. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. And I know I'm not. But at the same time, that whole concept of just like, you're the only one that's saying this one thing, so most likely you're wrong. Yeah, that kind of, that, that kind of mentality is driving me absolutely insane. It really, really is. I can't even tell you. Because it's like, everyone in the tech space except for me is saying that Elon owes Twitter... And I know that's incorrect because I've seen enough of these business transactions go through. And for every other one except this one, we go through, oh, hey, first has to be approved by the board, then the shareholders, and then the governmental bodies that be. Every single time. But in this one case, everyone decides to be freaking stupid. And that's the only other way to phrase it, is just being frickin' stupid. Ugh. That being said, though, while Twitter is currently in the process of taking on radical new ownership, they are introducing new features, one of which being called the Vibe Check. And basically what the Vibe Check is, is um, very similar to the current status sort of feature that you see on old instant messages services like AOL Instant Messenger. I think MSN Messenger had it as well. Uh, Trillion had a feature built into it, but I think that was just using the AIM protocol. I'm pretty sure MySpace had it. I think Facebook has it too? Question mark? And then of course now Discord which is kind of, which is some sort of a strange hybrid between um, 
social media network network and um uh ventrilo how do you even classify discord a closed social media network i don't know anymore discord has kind of like just evolved far beyond what they set out to do that much is for certain but yeah the vibe check sort of uh feature for twitter i think is a good idea i think the name needs help because let's be honest a lot of you 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 know plenty of vibe check memes and it's just like some giant thing to jump scare you yeah a lot of you probably know it speaking of jump scares apple is now removing outdated apps from the app store simply because they have reviewed to update the app yeah, if you don't update your app after a certain number of years, um, Apple just decides that uh, your app no longer deserves to exist. They'll just be removed from the App Store. I'm sorry, what? So yeah... While in the gaming world, we are concerned about various forms of saving saving the legacy of video games, one of which right now that's in the crosshairs is Terra, as its developers have ceased development, and currently there's only one known private server. If that's ever shut down, that's it. That entire game and the legacy that could have been... I don't think that snap's being picked up on the microphone, but snap, gone, never to be seen again. And again, the main reason I bring that up is because, of course, it is pretty much one of the MMOs that I know about the most that is just, it's dying. It's, it's actually going out. Of like any other MMO I've gone to, I've either just like outgrown or just moved on from. But they're still around. Like, Ragnarok Online is still around. Although next week, I'm going to have some... I have some more digging to do around. But man, I have some interesting RO news for next Equalize on Tech. Some interesting little developments I'm working into. But I don't have them ready just yet. Plus, on top of that, I'm... This is supposed to be last week's news. But don't tell anyone that. Except I just told you that. Speaking of last week's news, Lapsus is back in the news. In fact, some leaked chat messages from Lapis has shown that they have stolen T-Mobile's source code. Oh, I think I didn't I didn't actually mention this. Um we're actually pre-recording this this time around. We actually aren't recording this live at, at twitch.tv/eaglefalcon mostly because um the IRL situation has it has not had me in the right mindset to really record live. And grant, I'm getting better. I'm I'm definitely getting better as things start uh everything starts falling into place and I'm less overwhelmed with the burden of IRL nonsense, but you know, it is what it is. But I digress. So th there's gonna be no someone in chat said this or that, the other thing, unfortunately, this time around. If you do have comments you want to say, anchor.fm slash eagle eyes on tech. Leave either a text message there 
or a voice message and we'll cover it in the next episode. I will not, I have no problem going ahead and setting aside some time just to answer some questions. So please go ahead and do that. Anchor.fm slash Eagle Eyes on Tech. He says, going over to his web browser right now and making sure that it is in fact exactly that. I'm like, I'm fairly certain I didn't do anything weird for it, right? Right? <laughs> you ever have those moments where you just like, you say something and you're just like, oh, man, I'm, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it is. It is eagle eyes on tech, no spaces. He says, as he goes, I want to actually just make sure there actually is a message button. Nice try, but you can't send voice mess. You can't send yourself a voice message. You try to test a thing and then you just get back slapped. How annoying. Fine, I'll put it over in, in a different browser. All right, yeah, it's it's just voice messages that, that it takes there. But hey, you do so, and you are golden. And currently, it's not letting me do it because my mic is currently in. Oh, I know. It's because my default settings is to block, block the mic because. Do you blame me? Listen, listen to this mic. Actually, honestly, this mic is probably not that bad because if I, if I go ahead and push this mic away like this. If I go ahead and do this, it's actually kind of hard to hear it. And this is actually in its far away position, so it's really hard to see it all. But once you actually get it nice and close, that's when it actually sounds kind of nice. That, that, by the way, getting really off topic here, is there between dynamic mics, which is what I use here, is a Shure SM7B, and a condenser mic. A condenser mic, you can't catch voices from far away like pretty much at all uh but you know it is what it is what what all led on to what let all let on to, to my thing oh yeah lapsus they stole the source code for uh t-mobile this is apparently leaked in one of the private messages between the lapsus cybercrime group So apparently there's actually a lot more that Lapsus has managed to get their hands on. And based on what we've heard out of Lapsus, they are a bunch of bunch of just punk amateurs, but are getting a lot of information basically through reverse social engineering attacks. Reverse social engineering attacks, for those who don't know, is... Um, well, basically the, the same sort of way that Nigerian scammers try to get, get you to send the money. Trick the, the victim into thinking something plausible and giving out information they normally wouldn't. Now, in this case, it's not the whole source code. It's most likely a password. Gain access to the account, get the information, get out. Easy peasy. No vulnerability need be fo need needed to be breached. 
always be aware because you never know when these kind of attacks can really go and bite you. Speaking of old school style attacks, Epic Games is taking Google to court. And this time it's around the Android billing policy for Bandcamp. Remember how Epic Games bought Bandcamp? Yeah, well, Bandcamp was able to operate the way it did and being very favorable to the artists in their split because on platforms like Android, they just use their own payment processor. Easy peasy done. But with Google now enforcing their payment rules, all of a sudden you got to cough up 30% to Google. Now, as it turns out, the way that Bandcamp is set up, they only have to offer 10% to Google, but in the way they're set up, they feel 10% a little uh, harsh considering the fact they give the artist something like, I actually want to make sure I get this percentage number right, even though I'm going to get it wrong. I want to say I read like 82% or something like that. Like the split between the platform and the artist is actually way more favorable to the artist than you would think. And then 18% of course would go to pay for the support of the platform. So Epic plans to take Google to court. And honestly, I think this actually may be one that uh, Epic Games will most likely win just for the fact that um, Google has been enforcing this for an absurdly long time and just suddenly bringing on saying, surprise, we're doing it now. Mm. Um, that probably won't fly in a court of law. You can't just do that. You can't just have a clause in there, not enforce it, and then spontaneously enforce it. But again, not a legal expert. We'll just have to wait and see how this goes down. Now, speaking of favorable splits, this is one. We're just going to get all the juicy news out of the, uh, the way right away, aren't we? This is one that uh, we're, uh, I'll just tell you right now. We're probably going to leak into the next segment a little bit with this one. Amazon had a leak through Bloomberg in regards to revamping its creator payout and um, the changes are not good, to say the least. So, right now, if you're a Twitch partner, you can, depending on how big of a Twitch partner you, you are, have a subscri subscriber split of up to 70-30. Normally, when you start off, it is a 50-50 split 
and then it goes up from there. If you're a Twitch affiliate, it's just 50-50 across the board, whether it's tier one, tier two, or tier three. And then the rates after that are negotiated with a maximum of 70-30 across the board. At least that's what we believe. These amounts are actually held under NDA. So Twitch partners technically aren't allowed to talk about it. I know a couple of Twitch partners. I did not want to pressure them into handing over this kind of information, um, mostly because they can get in trouble for telling me. And quite frankly, we have enough information just from what's leaked out that we kind of know. So that's the current way that Twitch subscriber revenue is. So normally whenever you go ahead and subscribe for $5 at the base amount, the streamer sees $2.50 of that and $2.50 of it goes to Twitch. Now, more and more we have seen Twitch try to push for more ads, specifically with their automatic advertising tool. They call it the ad manager. I hate the ad manager because the ad manager automatically plays ads without you, the streamer's consent as to when it happens. Whenever I run ads on my Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash eaglefalcon, I make sure that it's during a break, that all that's going on right now is that some animation is, is playing from the video game that I'm playing, and that some copyright fee music that is, in my opinion, very good, is also playing. That's all I do. And just during that five minute break, we play ads. Generates a little bit, of, a little bit of revenue, and more importantly, helps the powers that be that decide how viewable my channel is show that I do play ads and thus help my visibility, hopefully. Keyword there, hopefully. Now, the ad manager just plays them automatically. You just set it to whether it be 30 minutes to an hour, and it just does it. And you get no warning. Zoka be in the middle of a fight. I think that the ads manager is the worst thing that ever happened to blight Twitch in general, and I think it should go die in a fire. I hate it. I hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it. In addition, just for in perspective, I have roughly a dozen co-current viewers on average, all right? Sometimes, sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less, but on average, that's how many I have. You want know my peak is for ad revenue? One dollar for a month. That's it. And I take regular ad breaks every hour. 
and I run and I run what is it? About two minutes worth of ads every hour. Then I think that's very reasonable. And I make sure I do it during a break where I go up, I stretch, I refill on water. You know, I think it's a very healthy coexistence. But more and more Twitch has wanted to try and push towards having ads run automatically, that more ads run, despite the fact that it's a dollar. All that work for a dollar. What's the point? But that's the current state. The changes that are leaked in this Bloomberg article are as follows. Partnership programs will have the split go down from 70% to 50-50. There is also apparently the option to create multiple tiers and set criteria for how to qualify for each one. In addition, the exclusivity restrictions are also supposed to be lifted on these programs. On top of all of that, there is supposed to be more incentives to run ads. Now, here's what I'll say. The first thing to point out about this is that this is a leak. All right. It definitely comes off to me as the information is incomplete. Because it is talking about the partnership program going from 70% down to 50%, but to also create multiple tiers and set criteria for how to qualify for each one. So are we talking about affiliates at the bottom, then partners, and then partner plus, then partner pro, and then partner ultimate and then ambassador like where is it, it, what is the thing here like already there is kind of internally known that there's different tiers of partners there's just no clear guidelines as to what is what as far as i am aware again it could be within the partner circle which of course i am not i am just an affiliate in in the world of twitch it could be within the world of partnership that there are in fact set guidelines as to how to reach each one. This talk of there being multiple tiers could in fact be taking that program, making the lines much more solid and making them much more public. All right. That could explain the partner split going down. All right. Because here's the thing. Everyone's going on about how, wow, partners are just going to be 
given 50-50. Their revenue is going to be cut down by 20%. This is the worst thing could ever happen to Twitch. Think about this for a minute. What is the benefit for Twitch to cut the revenue down by 20% and then say we are lifting the exclusivity restrictions? Imagine for a moment you had I'm trying to think of a good example. Let's just say you had a bunch of dogs. A bunch of indoor dogs. And then you cut back the amount of food they had. But then installed a, do a doggy door for them to just go, go out and just explore wherever. And with no fence. You might never see those dogs again. That actually was a bad example. But you get what I'm saying. Clearly there has to be some missing information here. Because as it's written, this is a suicide pact. This is just saying that we want all our up, upper echelon content creators to vanish. It makes no sense. Now, additional incentive to run ads. I am in favor of additional incentive for ads if and only if the incentives are the same whether we run ads manually like I do or if we run them automatically because honestly I hate the automatic ads I do straight up I hate it Hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it. And I think if it were to vanish completely, no one would miss it. I take that back. A handful of people would miss it. Most of them being the content creators. I know a handful of people that actually do prefer it. Because it is just generating ad revenue and they don't think, think about it. And then those communities as, as well, they have enough people that gift out subs that anyone who felt really hindered by it could just hang out for five seconds and they'd just be bopped with a, with a gifted sub. And then bam, no more ads. So, yeah. Am I surprised that Twitch wants to go ahead and generate additional revenue? No. No, I, I am not, not in the least. The current plan as it's laid out, as we think it is being set out now, is awful. And is a non-starter. And I'll just pretty much say this. If I were a content creator on Twitch and my livelihood depends on Twitch, I would prepare 
to be able to, if it came down to it. to be prepared to switch over your streaming system to another platform, whether it be YouTube. Actually, pretty much YouTube. Unfortunately, Altair is gone, and uh, your other the options are either Trovo, which... Uh, mm, yikes. Mob Crush, which is even more yikes, or Facebook Gaming, which... Um, Facebook gaming feels like they just stopped caring. Like they just come off as we don't care about our platform anymore. So anyway, there's my very, very rambly thoughts about this leak out of Twitch. Oh, and another thing I kept seeing going around, um, some people were talking about, and I've seen pictures of this, about getting offers to be able to stream a certain amount of ads and get a bounty amount. And apparently this is rolled out to everyone. If you're viewing the video version of this right now, uh, you will see that in fact, I do not have this option anywhere. And I'm actually going through and flipping different switches and whatnot. Just to see if it comes up, there is a, I am seeing there's an option here that says heads up timer that says like, hey, we'll let you know when there's an ad about to play so, so many minutes before you start. It's just like, and no, no. So let me go ahead. I just went ahead and saved and activated. And, um, no, the, ba the, the little bounty thing is not coming up at all. I probably just showed a bunch of information I'm not supposed to with the CPMs, even though my CPM is terrible. Yeah, I don't get it. It's not there, like, at all. We're going to take our break here when we come back. What is up next? Oh, yeah, Apple News and their new self-repair program. Oh, boy, this is going to be good, isn't it?
Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. All right, let's talk about Apple's self-service repair. On paper, this seems like a great idea, right? Apple pretty much giving anyone who wants to repair their own stuff the tools to repair their own stuff and give the guides. But here's the thing. They are basically doing it in a manner that only could be handled by that that basically uh, the kind of repair you'd only see in like a base level repair shop so like if a component on the board was bad you'd basically be replacing the whole motherboard if you're trying to do board repair um you're still sol and then the guides themselves are also written specifically for apple's own tools which they will rent you they'll be more than willing to rent you the tools but at a price very close to um, the majority of what the tool actually just costs to buy. By the way, you can only rent it. You know, just for good measure in all this. <sighs> Lewis Rossman mentioned and Lewis has been like pretty much like the biggest voice on the front lines when it comes to right to repair. And he's been saying like a lot of these repair programs that are being put forward are basically even put forward for one purpose and one purpose only. It is for the company to say that, no, we are for repair. See, we have this program here. And it's like just the bare minimum to, to convince a senator who doesn't know any better. Oh, and by the way, some senators that just straight up lie about some of the things that happened to them just because they want to go ahead and send a message and send a point because that's the kind of guy people you deal with in politics and then people wonder why I hate poli- talking about politics wow yeah there's currently some other stuff in politics right now that's being um that people are blowing weight out of proportion but you know that's Tech show. Or tech show. In any case. The Apple self-service program. It, it is available. It is helpful. And available to people only in the US. Eventually it's going to be out in the. In Europe as well. But basically here's the thing. This is not a self-service repair program. It's not. This is clearly more intended for third-party repair. It is. Like, this, this is the kind of guides and documentation and access to tools that that Apple is giving that I would have gotten as basically a one to one and a half person shop that refurbished computers for the longest time from Dell, from HP, from Lenovo.
this is not self-service repair because I would not expect basically anyone to just go ahead and just pick this up because self-service repair seems to imply that anyone can do this. Like I could go ahead and hand these tools and this guide off to like, say my father and he could go and repair his phone. I don't think he would. I think it would be something that I would have to go ahead and do the repair myself anyway. But I will say this much. It is a big step in the right direction for Apple. Is it enough to say that Apple is pro-repair? No, it's not. Not when the overwhelming majority of their repair requires a primary board replacement. On their laptop, if the storage dies, it is a primary board replacement. If the RAM, if the RAM has a glitch in it and you need to replace RAM, you are looking at a primary board replacement. If the GPU is throwing weird errors, it's a primary board replacement. If the CPU needs to be replaced, it is a primary board replacement. If it is some sort of power delivery that's going from one of the ports to anywhere, you you get the idea. Everything is a primary board replacement unless it is the keyboard, in which case, because of the way they build it, it is a top case replacement or the screen, which because of the way they build it, it is going to be all the entire monitor assembly. All of it. The webcam, the backplate, the bezel, the glass, all of it. Because that's how Apple builds their stuff. They are still building it in a way that is very anti-repair. And in a world where everything is being soldered on the board and they refuse to give anything to the people who can do board repair, that can actually go ahead and have the knowledge to heat up, remove a dead component on the board and replace it with a working one, without providing access to those chips or the schematics or anything of that nature to actually do the repair. It's not enough. Not until they provide that kind of information if they continue to build their devices this way. Oh, but they need to solder everything on the board because that innovation, solder board innovative... Yeah, yeah, yeah. SO dims are too thick and whatnot. Yeah, look at Dell. If Dell can find a way to still make RAM swappable, guess what? I'm pretty sure Apple could find a way too. They choose not to. And before anyone starts giving the benefit of the doubt, I want to remind you who you're dealing with. You are dealing with... You're dealing with Apple, the company that goes above and beyond 
to make sure that nothing is swappable in any way, shape, or form. Oh, and, uh, you know what's even better? The prices on their repairs as well are, um, a little sketch, too. That self-repair program, if you were to go ahead and, um, take part in it, the cost of all said and done is only slightly better than its own repair prices unless you send in your dead components. Hmm, why would Apple want to do that? Why would Apple want to go out of their way to make sure that there is no dead components out there? I mean, if everything's, I mean, if everything's on the board, it's just a matter of swap out the board and swap it in. Why would you want any of that? It, it couldn't be to make sure there's no market for buying dead boards and using these still good chips on them as donor boards for other repairs, right? That couldn't possibly get right. Right? Yeah. That couldn't possibly get. Once again, I'd like to remind you, until Apple and many of these other manufacturers that continue to make these decisions of soldering literally everything on the board give you an option to go ahead and buy some of the components that are supposed to go on the board it almost feels like a completely moot point I am out of tea and that makes me very sad because I didn't grab any during the break Oh, but Apple is, you know, they're just, they're just a little startup company, you know? They only started up in a garage not all that long ago. It was only 40 years ago or whatever that they were in a garage. You can't expect them to just cough up information like that to be able to just say, yeah, we can go ahead and uh, offer you to go ahead and repair your own devices on the cheap, right? Right? Uh, yeah, um, Apple revenue has hit a new record as revenue hit $19.8 billion in quarter two, and even better, their subscription model is netting them a cool $825 million. Subscription services include, if I if I need to remind you, Apple TV Plus, Apple Arcade, iCloud, because the five gigabytes they give you in iCloud right now is like an absolute joke. This is something I actually was discussing with a coworker about how Apple just has this nasty habit of they used to give you good options for managing your own backups, and now they're gone. Because everything's in the cloud. It's just better in the cloud. And you're only given five gigabytes in the cloud. 
You used to be able to buy a two terabyte router called a time capsule. I'm just saying. Actually, let's even pretend you wanted to go ahead and make your own Apple storage server. Which Mac would you do it with? <laughs> yeah, it's a hard choice, isn't it? I know what the worst part is. I know the answer. You know what the best way to make an Apple storage server is right now? I'm not even kidding. It is. The M1 Mac Mini and a Thunderbolt DAS. That's your best option. And it's not a great option because you have because of the Mac if because of the Mac M1 if the M1 Mac has any sort of problem, it's a primary board replacement and you lose your hypervisor. Unless you can still boot off a USB stick. If you can boot off an F... Wait, no. You still need to use Mac. Oh, my... <laughs> can, you actually, can you actually boot Mac off a primary USB, or is, like, one of the security chips going to interfere with that now? I actually don't know. Is there actually a Mac DAS? A DAS, for those that don't know, refers to a direct attach storage. This means that it's a box that, it, that can hold multiple hard drives that connects to a, another computer, usually a server, through some kind of connector. Usually in the server world, it's with external SOS or SCSI, but usually SOS because SOS replaced SCSI. But you can do it through things like Thunderbolt. This is what my podcast is right now. Um, according to this, um, not many. There's got to be a DAS that's compatible with uh, Mac. Oh yeah, here we go. Here's a dual. 8 terabyte one that's trying to say, hey, it's 16 terabytes of direct tax storage. By the way, if you go ahead and raid zero your DAS, you deserve what you get. You deserve doubling your chance of failure. You absolutely 100% deserve it. Don't do that. Just don't. If you raid zero your backup storage system, I will find you and I will beat you with your DAS until the data dies. And you would deserve it. And deep down, you know you deserve it. Don't do that. Just don't. Ugh. Oh, wow. This is a really weird DAS that's freaking... Oh, no, it's a NAS. Never mind. That's still a weird NAS. That's five... That's five uh, three and a quarter... Uh, three and a half drives and four two and a half inch drives. It's really weird. 
Now, oh, well, it is what it is. But yeah, actually trying to find a specifically Mac powered backup system. You are a hundred percent looking third party. I have no idea. Maybe Mac actually does play nice again with NASA's because I know they used to be really wonky in the way that operated. Maybe now regular NASA's will, will behave properly. Anyway, continuing on our track of being hilariously distracted by Apple stuff, um, some leaks came out for the iPhone 14 Pro and iPhone 14 Pro Max that shows that the displays will be taller and the notch is gone. Replaced instead with a sideways exclamation mark. I'm not even kidding. It's a pill cutout with a hole punch cutout right next to it. It is smaller than the notch currently, but um, I'm not sure how much you really gained. And you know what's killer? The number of people that went, this is stupid. Why did they do this? Why, why didn't they just go with a hole punch? I know exactly why. Many of you probably do too. The Apple front-facing camera is not just a standard camera. It is what's referred to as a real sense camera, meaning that the camera has three elements to it. One, it has the standard what's referred to as an RGB camera that it detects basically a 2D image and all the colors associated with it, all right? It then also has a second component, an infrared dot projector. This projects a, re a grid of infrared dots that you can't see obviously because it's infrared and it does it across your face and your surroundings. All right. The third aspect is an infrared camera. Have you ever seen animation being done for Hollywood movies? They have those weird suits with like all kinds of dots on them. And then on the actual face itself, they have a whole bunch of dots that are like placed on like a grid pattern in certain ways. And a camera looks at it and it collects that data to go ahead and animate the face. That is what the infrared components of the real sense camera are doing. They are doing that to perceive depth and specifically the details of your face that a normal 2D camera cannot. This is also why iPhones 10 and newer are highly sought at by VTubers for animating their avatars because they can get that Hollywood level of capture for animations without doing any of that extra stuff. They just have to point a point a iPhone at their face. And as long as the rigging is correct on their VTubing avatar, they are set to go. So believe it or not, until Apple nails down an underscreen real sense camera, this is gonna be the best you can get. 
on an iPhone until they drop the real sense camera and go with some other kind of biometrics, in which case VTubers everywhere are gonna be really, really sad because currently right now, this is the only way to get a real sense camera. He says, as he goes into Amazon and types in real sense camera and wonders why the heck Amazon is Why is it being so slow? Oh, we do have one. We have two, in fact. These are some standalone Intel RealSense cameras. Look at that. I thought the one I had from, uh, from Razer way, way, way back when was like the last one. No, sure enough, we do have some. Fascinating. This actually would... Assuming that this works properly with like live 2D and whatnot, this actually would be a much better option. Hmm. Curious. Anyway, being greatly, I should actually show it in the, in the video version. See? Wait. Yeah, try and go ahead and have this in a way that it doesn't show my name, even though it's shown it. And it's all over. It's all over. <laughs> we'll have to go back and just blur things. I didn't want to edit this at all. I'm going to have to now. Wah, wah. I guess it won't matter soon. I got to move out of this apartment anyway. <laughs> so even if people figure out my zip code, they're not going to figure out too much more than that. They'll know my zip code for, oh, actually the, the, oh, the cam blocks it anyway. I've been panicking about nothing. But yeah, 264. That's actually way cheaper than just getting the camera. But you see what I'm talking about here, how it has a lot of elements, actually. This one has four. So I'm assuming that's our infrared dot projector. This one's our RGB camera. And then these two here are probably both your in your uh, your infrared cameras. Well, there's a lot going on there to make sure that it detects all the information correctly. Anyway, that was a massive sidetrack that I may or may not have to go back and edit a little bit later, but. I digress. In other Apple news, a lot of the quarterly reports did show that 50% of the revenue in from new hardware were specifically new Mac users. As everyone's getting on board, the Apple Silicon hype train. Now, is there really any surprise to this? No. There really, really isn't. Now that we're actually starting to see some Apple Silicon that actually looks promising that we're actually starting to see what is going to be the new hardware. It actually be becoming interesting. Like think about this for a second. All right. When 
Apple switched from PowerPC to Intel. The first products that were announced were like very, very, very minor refreshes. Very minor. We saw like the Mac Mini get like basically the exact same case that it was before. Even though I wish they just never updated the G5 case in the first place. Midway through the G5 iMac, they updated it so that the ability to just place it face forward, three screws, remove the back and service the whole thing however you want, gone. You instead gotta go through and remove three screws, uh, pry it apart a little bit, remove several different ribbon cables that hold the whole thing together. It, it just became a nightmare to repair. I still have one sitting up on my shelf that needs a new hard drive and I just like I just don't care enough to go ahead and do that repair I just don't it's like why why are you do this I just can't care enough I literally can't but that just is what it is but the point is is that when the Intel Macs were first launching they were very minor updates. Things like the 12 and 14 inch laptops being replaced with 13 and 15 inch versions, but the materials being mostly the same. Nothing real, really new and innovative until you start getting to towards the end of the transition. And also early on, they were using Core Duos. How many of you ever heard of the Core Duo? Because I'm willing to bet for the majority of you, it went straight from Pentium 4 to Core 2 Duo. The Core Duo, and also, in addition, there was a Core Solo. Yeah, the Core architecture, but with the single core. There are a couple of Macs running Core Solos. Oh, boy. Yeah, that didn't, uh, that didn't pan out too well. And then, of course, you start getting things like the Mac Pro that got some radical innovations on the inside. You started seeing the Mac... No, the Mac Mini actually didn't get much of anything. But then the MacBook Pro got that huge update. Then the MacBook Air came out. Now that you're starting to see these newer Apple Silicon products that clearly look like they could be brand new, updated devices that weren't just hastily thrown together at the last minute because the first two mac apple silicon products were a joke they really really were with what the macbook and the macbook pro and both of them looked exactly the same as their predecessor Why would you hop on board that? And that's not new. It's just why? And why is the M why is the MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro running the same chip? What's why am I wait what what? What the what? It made no sense. So now that you actually see like the iMac come out, and that's clearly gonna be the way they go, 
now that you see the Apple Studio come out, and that's clearly going to be the way they go for the professional route. Now that you see the new MacBook Pros that actually have what a novel concept, I.O., and what another novel concept, cooling. No, I'm still not going to forgive Apple for deciding at the very last minute to just let the MacBook Air fry itself. They put a passive heatsink on an Intel chip and then went, wow, that chip run hot. No. No way. You put a passive heatsink on it in an enclosed space and then give a surprise Pikachu face when the heat have nowhere to go. Oh, but we put exhaust fan on far end of laptop away from passive heat sink. But we have to dump Intel. But now that they're using their own chips, oh, now, now it actually has some real proper cooling. Uh-huh. Darndest thing, isn't it? We're going to take a break here while I lose my mind a little bit more. When we come back, what is the hope of ARM on Windows laptops? We'll be back. Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. My first instinct was to go ahead and apologize for the break taking too long, but um, you don't know that. (laughs) I went to get tea and then realized, oh, the tea container's empty. I need to go make more. All right, I'll get some water. Oh, the water filter is is past spent. So I just, I mean, the water's still fine, obviously, but it's... It's one of those like Brita systems where like you have a green light, a yellow light, and then a red light. It's been at yellow for like a couple weeks. So like I know it needs to be changed soon. Finally, it was red. So I just changed it, wiped out the reservoir. You put the impure water, even though our water here is still really, really good. Like seriously, our tap water is about on par with a lot of filtered water. It's kind of crazy what we got here. So it's not like I needed to. I was just like, ah, I'm right here. I might as well go do it. And, just, and now I have a cup of ice cold, semi-filtered water. With a, that is nice, ice cold and satisfying with a small hint of a little bit of tea that was at the bottom of the cup you couldn't drink up. <laughs> you know what I mean too, right? Nah, I digress. Qualcomm is working on M1 class laptop chips and will be ready for PCs in late 2023. I still have no idea how I'm going to feel about this. I'm really not. Because for average use and what you use a Mac for, the Apple Silicon chips are good. But there's like general compute tasks that the M1 just lacks at. 
like if you're a content producer right now or a video editor the mac right now is easily the king when it comes to performance per watt if you throw enough hardware at it you can get an x86 based pc to outperform the mac no problem but that requires you know getting some kind of thread ripper and a 3090 to do it but performance per watt the mac is currently king in certain production tasks all right and i want that to be clear certain production tasks it's king it is not the king of gaming but it is still good at it so i actually am very curious what the qualcomm m1 class laptop chips are going to perform like how well is windows 11 for arm going to treat these particular laptops how is it all going to pan out i'm very curious and i don't haven't i i don't know yet but things are going to get very very interesting very very quickly when those are out we're gonna have to wait two years and a lot can happen in two years like a lot a lot in other oddball news the central african republic becomes the second country to adopt bitcoin as legal tender now i have mixed feelings about this because the first country that did this to accept Bitcoin as legal tender was El Salvador. And El Salvador, when they did it, their prime minister or president or who, who, whatever the heck the leader of their company or co company country actually is, whatever their title actually is, I'm, I'm not trying to offend. I legitimately don't know. Um, they had some crazy pie in the sky ambitions for what was going to happen with that they were talking about like a volcano powered crypto utopia or some such nonsense like that the central african republic at this time just appears to just say yeah we accept bitcoin and i imagine the main reason being is that most likely they just did it and felt it was a intelligent choice for them that their own current primary national tender is too unstable and felt that Bitcoin might be a better option. I don't know that for certain because, of course, I am a tech enthusiast, not a geopolitical expert. But that would be my guess. But I mean, if we start hearing about the the leader of the Central African Republic start talking about ramping up the crypto island project and then launch a mascot for it and whatnot, well, 
then we know they drank too much of the crazy Kool-Aid too. And that I should feel even worse for the citizens of the Central African Republic than I already do. By the way, zero days since last NFT news because TikTok has launched NFT famous doctors. Their famous TikTok doctors are getting in their own NFTs and already it is made of nightmare. All I can do is just shake my head at this. Because, I mean, first off, these things are just... I mean, first off, they're ugly. They really do just look like... You hit the randomize button on a... MMORPG character generator that had way too many options. And it was random create, random create, random create, and just kept going through and through and through, which is what most of these are. And that's the reason why so many of these are fugly. It's like the people behind NFTs do not fully comprehend what makes art unique. And oddly enough, at the time of recording this, there is some new NFT news that makes me smile, but we're technically talking about last week, so I can't talk about it yet, which makes this really awkward. Whee! Yeah, welcome to being late for your own podcast. But needless to say, I am... Despite the way things look right now, in the case of NFTs and crypto, the data that is showing makes me very happy. And this is all in spite of the fact that the first meta store is opening in California in May. And yep, this is going to be an attempt to sell NFTs and digital goods in Meta's metaverse. Good luck with that. I will say this much before moving off. Actually, do I have another crypto story to talk about? Oh, I do. I do have another crypto story to talk about. How could I forget about the $1 million worth of Board 8 Yacht Club NFTs that were stolen with an Instagram hack? You might think it's rude of me to laugh that someone just had their own property uh, stolen, and I'm laughing at the fact that it was stolen, but here's the beauty of this. What property was stolen? All that was stolen was a receipt. 
there's actually been a number of documentaries that have been coming out recently, including one by that was a collaboration event by or no, a collaboration effort by a number of YouTube lawyers as well as some journalists. They really go into the deep depths of how much do you legally own this art with NFTs? And it basically boils down to the fact that since there is no law stating that the NFT shows in a court of law that you have ownership of something, you literally have nothing. It has been, as we've always said, as much yours as that certificate saying that a random star out there is named after your niece. It has the same legal precedent. Being that it has none. It's all a scam. Always has been. And the end, the people that were responsible for this hack that stole all these NFTs, they have a million dollars worth of these NFTs. What they actually have? They have zero dollars worth of NFTs. Because just like with all art theft, you have, you have made nothing and you've stolen nothing until you have actually found a buyer for it. And the fact of the matter is, the bubble is finally starting to pop. The word crypto, blockchain, NFTs is now being associated with the mainstream public as being a scam, a ring of fraud. We already saw it a couple weeks ago with the man that tried to sell Jack Dorsey's first tweets NFT for millions of dollars and was only offered thousands. The number of idiots out there that are willing to see value in NFTs is getting smaller and smaller and smaller as the word is getting out there more and more that there is no body of anything that enforces your legal right of ownership of whatever that NFT says you own. Nothing. And the fact that you have the federals, the, the feds looking into this as well, it doesn't bode well for the world of NFTs and crypto. Just something to keep in mind in all of this. In some good news, though, we are seeing some new Navi GPUs and Phoenix APUs, and they're all going to fit. They're all going to ship with this RDNA 3 architecture. A new architecture is coming. And in fact, the leak shows that there are at least four of these RDNA 3 devices at least four new 
revamped AMD GPUs. Now, this is the third beef up of the same architecture. At some point, you've squeezed all you can out of an architecture. Will RDNA 3 be able to keep up with what NVIDIA is cooking? Which, by the way, NVIDIA is cooking up something new. They are cooking up Lovelace. And guess what? It is going to be a new architecture. It was originally going to be a refresh of... What are we on? Ampere? I think Ampere. It was originally supposed to be a refresh of Ampere. And now... It's going to be its own brand new architecture. And it's all thanks to RDNA 3, apparently. But here's something to be concerned with, all right? First off, will chip production be able to keep up? It's an honest question. We still have a bit of a chip shortage problem. Vehicles right now is still a big, big problem in the supply chain. Your consumer vehicles, very few out there right now, brand new. There's a back order of almost a year. It's still going on. As more and more electric vehicles are coming out, you need more and more silicon chips to power all that. The main computer, the controller that controls how much power is going into the battery, various other controller modules for everything else in the electric cars. Everyone's starting to switch to electric, which means more silicon. And we're only just starting to get these foundries up and running. These are all things to sincerely keep in mind. Now then. We are starting to see the GPU market starting to heal. However, with these new architectures coming out, with our DNA 3 coming out, with Lovelace coming out, is it possible that NFTs still being out there could cause another boom in the crypto market. Considering the fact that Ethereum still has not shifted from proof of work to proof of stake, it is very, very possible that we're still going to have some serious problems. I sincerely do hope that that's not the case. Although maybe the crypto kids will just decide to go away and not even bother as 
these new GPUs could and might in fact have a 900 watt TDP. What? Apparently a test board that has been out for the flagship of the RTX 40 ADA graphics cards is running two 16 pin connectors and that this model is designed for up to 900 watts of TDP. You want to know how performance per watt ends up becoming a better metric for computers going forward? This, this kind of nonsense right here is how it happens. Are you serious, NVIDIA? Like, okay, look, I'm not going to lie. The enthusiast in me would love to go ahead and have the money to build up a system, water cool the whole thing, come with, with a crazy overbuilt, over-the-top cooling solution, this huge water loop that is both the pinnacle of both maintenance, efficiency, and just an absolute beast of a unit just looking incredibly overkilled with like dual quad rat radiators because you've got you know oh excuse me you got like a 100, 100 watt CPU paired with a 900 watt GPU and you've got a 1600 watt power supply to, to power the whole thing like like par part of me like would just love to build that and just kind of show off with it on the other hand I have to pay the electric bill for that on the other hand, on the other hand, though, I also gotta exist in the same room as that. Are you kidding me? Nvidia, you have to underline, have to work on this performance per watt problem. Like at some point, gamers are not going to be thrilled when their brand new high-end crazy over-the-top computer pops the circuit breaker because it's too much for both the computer and the air conditioner to be running at the same time. Like, th this is, I, I'm not trying to, like, make a joke here or anything. This is actually going to be a problem. There is no ifs, ands, or, or buts about it. A 900-watt card. First off, holy cow, when that thing goes, it's going to go. And it is going to go spectacularly. That's going to go in a way that no one's going to be happy with.
all I can say, NVIDIA, is please work on this because this is going to be an absolute nightmare. We're going to take our last break here. When we come back, some new EVs confirmed. And of course, the epic saga of the Pixel Watch. As well as, of course, the silly news like Max. <laughs> Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. I, I didn't realize this, but while I'm going through my... But I haven't been using this one very often. I should be doing that more often. Anyway. Corvette has confirmed they will have an EV. There will be a Corvette EV. But it's first going to come out as a hybrid first and then have the full electric vehicle later on. The goal right now is that the hybrid version will come out in 2023, and then the fully electric version will be coming out in... Eh? I mean, raise your hand if you're surprised by this. I mean, I'm not. I'm really not. And once again, you know, it's, it's great and all, but we do need to work on the electric infrastructure first. I'm telling you right now, that is going to be the biggest hurdle. Oh, but it's okay. You're going to have a charger at home. You're going to have a charger at home. You're going to have a charger at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I look forward to doing that. I look forward to, after signing my life away for a $40,000 electric vehicle that, you know, I missed out on a whole lot of extra features to get it down to that low, to then enjoy... Spending an extra one thousand to fifteen hundred dollars to hire an electrician to go ahead and run out, run out the custom line to go ahead and power a charger in the garage. And down the road, yes, I do agree that eventually there's going to be electric chargers basically in every garage at some point. Eventually, that's going to be an upgrade that everyone decides to do. Eventually. But until then, you're going to want fast DC chargers out there. And currently, there aren't as many out there as you'd like. And then in addition to that, the ones that are out there do have some communication problems and they need, underlying need to be worked out. That is far more important. Then getting the cars out. 
I'm just saying that is in fact the case. And you're going to find that with the Rivian. You're going to find that with, with the, with the Mach-E, with the Lightning. I also, can I just say, holy cow, Ford is really showing that they can go ahead and build EVs. I'm starting to see more Mach-E's out than I do Tesla's. And I know that mine's like a small subsample in like, you know, it, it, it right out here in flyover country and all that jazz. But it is crazy how many Mach-E's are out there. It is quickly becoming the electric vehicle of choice right now for those that got there. It also doesn't help at all that the cost difference between a Model 3 and a Mach-E is only a grand. I know because I looked into it myself. You know what the Mach-E has that the Model 3 doesn't? A gauge cluster. And an interior design that doesn't make me want to pull my hair out. Although I'm still kind of eh, on the uh, door handle situation. Like, they, they, they did some silly stuff there that I think is unnecessary, but... It's functional. It works. And that's what's important. Let's talk about the Google Pixel Watch. We talked about leaks out there early on, but there's now been leaked images out about just the watch head. Like before it was just like, oh, hey, this is rumored to be out there. No, this was actually just out there for people to just mess with just the watch head and then another leak came out of the watch actually on someone's wrist here's my thoughts on it the pixel watch looks fine it's a round face it's a smart watch who cares Without the watch band, it looks like a smooth pebble. I think that's kind of silly because what's going to matter is how it looks with a watch band. Because you're never going to use it without the watch band. Because then that defeats the whole purpose of having a watch. You know, just thought I'd, you know, remind you of that very, very important little detail. Some people are saying that this is equivalent of uh, the iPhone 4 when it leaked out. While I'm moving around, he, I, people just listen to the audio version, did not, but the people watching the video version just saw, saw me like jump a little bit. As I'm like shifting around, the wire from my headset touched like the sole of my bare heel. And I just like flinched a little bit because I thought like something brushed up against it and then I realized, oh, it's just a wire. <laughs> Whoops. That's what I get for being barefoot. It's also like really hot actually in the studio today. Which is kind of weird because it's only like 50 outside. We just generated heat like nobody's business today. In any case... I think the watch leak is intentional. I think Google very intentionally leaked out the watch 
That's just all there is to it. It's one thing for one little detail to be shown off. It's another thing entirely when you then see another leak from another source out there. I, I think it's 100% intentional. Google also said nothing about it so far. So, I think what matters far more is not the looks of the watch. What matters is the software and the adoption rate and the third-party support. That matters far, 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 far more than anything else about the watch. All right. In other news, Sega, according to Kotaku, is pulling a standalone Sonic game ahead of Sonic Origins arrival so apparently i'm not entirely certain what this is supposed to be so apparently sonic origins which is supposed to launch on june 23rd for home consoles and pcs remasters the first three sonic hedgehog games from the sega genesis and the aptly named sega cd follow-up sonic cd and Sega specifically named this collection as the reason why the four Sonic games largely won't be available piecemeal on digital storefronts after May 20th. So they're pulling these four games and instead only selling a package of these games. If they're already out, why bother? Now, I will say this much. I'm not familiar with most of the Sonic games. I have only played one Sonic game, and that is Sonic CD. I loved the Sonic CD. How did you play how did you play Sonic CD on the Sega CD but didn't play any other Sega games? That's silly. I actually played it on Windows 95. Or was it 98? I actually don't remember. It was on one of the ni the 90 series windows. I played it on keyboard and mouse. And you know what? I beat it on keyboard and mouse. I 100%ed it on keyboard and mouse. All good endings, all of it. I loved the heck out of Sonic CD, and I loved the American mu music for it, for it too. Sonic CD is actually really interesting in the fact that it had like that kind of '90s like radical music that you that you kind of expect. It was still good in the way it did, but also in the EU and the JP version, it had kind of quirky, upbeat music as well. And on the PC version. You're supposed to be able to switch between the two and you can only do it in the levels. You can't do it on the menu, which is really weird. Because personally, I prefer, well, I mean, I prefer the North American version just because that's what I grew up with. So that's what I expect when I fire it up. If I get anything else, I'm like, what the heck is this? That's one thing that also a lot of people don't even put into consideration whenever they experience a game the second time around. Oh, the 
the the subbed version of that anime is way better than the dubbed version. It's because you're turning out and expecting the subbed version. You're you're used to hearing that that was the first thing you heard. You do the exact opposite. Like if you heard an anime on Toonami and you heard the dub version and then heard the sub version, you'd be like, what the heck is this? That's just that's nothing even close. So you're used to hearing the other version. That's always what makes kind of judging subs versus dubs very, very difficult. Though on that same sort of argument though, FF14, subs versus dubs, whether they go Japanese voices or English voices. The Japanese voices are very traditional and they actually do do a very good job for Japanese voices, even though a lot of Japanese voices end up being very... I'm not going to say they all sound exactly the same, but they have like very, very similar tones. Like there's not a lot of difference really between one voice and another. It's just something with Japanese voice acting. The English voice acting is really good, though. And it's just like, which one's the best? Whichever you're used to. There's no right answer in that regard. I do recommend trying both. Just get an experience. Try to broaden your mind, even though you already, I almost guarantee, have some biases already ingrained in. With no good segue, um, the PS5 is going to have variable refresh rate support rolling out. Well, now, by the time you hear this, it's out. Support is starting to roll out. Variable refresh refresh rate means that I am drawing a complete blank all of a sudden. (laughs) Refresh rate means that variable refresh rate means that the frame rate of the game will vary based on how much action is going on on the screen. This is both done to save on power and also so that during details where not a lot of action is going on, the GPU can spend more time adding more detail and actually turn up the graphics for a, for a bit. And during high action, it will automatically lower the quality to increase the frame rate when you need it. I'm not going to lie. As someone who runs on two junkyard PCs, I have nothing that uses variable refresh rate. My monitors don't support variable refresh rate. My GPUs, one of them might, actually. My 1660 actually might support variable refresh rate. My monitor sure as heck doesn't because my monitor is built in, I think, 2008. They are also content creator monitors that I got from an engineering firm, which I'm just telling you right now, if you ever need to grab some good high-end equipment on the cheap, find off-lease engineering gear. Computers-wise, that is. Color-accurate monitors, high-resolution, and all for like 50 bucks. And by high resolution, I mean 1080p. Because most likely the ones you're going to find, that was considered high resolution at the time. It just is what it is. 
Speaking of it is what it is, the Bethesda launcher is dead. Moment of silence for the Bethesda launcher. So anyway, um, you're now gonna wanna go ahead and move all your games to the Steam account. To be able to do that, you need to go ahead and go to, starting Wednesday, you can officially transfer all compatible content to Steam and safely uninstall the Bethesda launcher. Apparently within the Bethesda launcher itself, there's the ability to go ahead and just, yeah, it actually just looks like it's a simple one click sort of situation. You'll link your Steam account. You hit a button, it transfers them. Bada bing, bada boom, done. It does look like, however, that your local game saves and local configurations will not move over. So in the case of some games, I'm sorry to say, I'm sorry to report, you may in fact have to go ahead, sit down, and spend two hours beating <laughs> Wolfenstein Youngblood again. God, what a disappointingly short game that was man i should go back and watch the let's play that me and gibberish did on that at youtube.com slash eagle falcon because i want to say we actually spent i want to say the entire first episode was nothing but like the terrible troubleshooting of trying to get the bethesda launcher to even work uh that that is one thing i do miss about uh not doing the let's play format anymore because it just never went anywhere the absolute raging at these launchers and their inferior way of working. Oh, man. Good times. Just simply good times. Call of Duty has come up with a unique way to get the cheaters out there. A new anti-cheat system makes it so that legit players appear invisible to those that are detected as using cheats. I mean, in the end, it's still an intrusive anti-cheat system because of course it has to detect the tools for cheating, but um, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I love it. Like as long as I ignore all the technical details about it, I love it. Is amazing. And I'd love to see some people just like thunk, just drop. Just absolutely lose their minds. As their cheat software just can't see anything anymore. The way they actually make it out, it seems like the cheating software won't be able to see it, but it looks like the character will still be able to see see stuff. And some of the, which here, the blog post reads that legitimate players, however, can see cheaters impacted by cloaking and can dole out in-game punishments. Oh, here we go. Characters, bullets, even sounds from legitimate players will be undetected to the cheaters. So actually even the players won't see, they'll just pop in and they won't see anything. 
Oh, man. I would love to see someone try to stream with that and then just be like, hey, why can't I see anything? Gunk. Uh, Snap can't get a clue and made a $230 selfie drone called the Pixie. The Pixie. Snapchat made a selfie drone that takes pictures and called it the Pixie. Okay, can I just say for a moment, we, we have Snapchat that's made now sunglasses with cameras built in them. We now have small spy drones that are actually pretty affordable, all things considered, with software that makes it very easy to run. Is Snapchat just making spy equipment? Is Snapchat just Mark Zuckerberg's Q? Does Zuckerberg think he's 007 and Snapchat is his Q making all the gadgets for all his spying? I, I'm 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 getting a little um not gonna lie, I'm a little creeped out. How much information does Snapchat have on me? You know what? Who am I kidding? I don't think they, oh wait no. Oh no, I'm thinking Instagram. Who owns Snapchat? No, Mark Zuckerberg owns Instagram. Who owns Snapchat? Who owns Snapchat? Snapchat is owned by Snap Inc., which is the parent, which is the parent company that was set up ahead of Snapchat's successful. Okay, so Snap has four products: Snapchat, Snapchat Spectacles, Bitmoji, and Zenly. What the frick is Zenly? All right, so how long until Facebook buys up Snap Inc.? to make all that thing I just said true? We may never know. What we also may never know is how a VR company is using artificial, he's using um, an artificial patent group to test its chronic pain treatment. Yes, Applied VR is using VR headsets to treat chronic pain. I'm going to admit that my knowledge of medicine is uh, limited at best, but um, how? I, 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 I just, I can't. How the, what the, where the, what? I just, I, I can't even, I just can't even process how a VR headset is going to somehow, somehow in all of this, make it so that
you just, I, I, I just can't even. I just can't even. Well, I mean, that has to be the last burb, right? That has to be the crazy story, and I just forgot to mention it, right? No. No, I have one sillier. I have one crazier. Ladies and gentlemen, I bring you the last burb, the last story of the day, the weirdest story of the week. Ladies and gentlemen, Japanese rail company rolls out VR piloted Gundam robot worker. Yes. A Japanese rail company has made a giant robot solely to work on railroads. I'll, I'll, I'll give them credit. This is a very good cover. But look, I've watched enough anime, Japan. You, you can't fool me. I have seen how much damage one high schooler in a Gundam can wreak. I have seen one 16-year-old high schooler take down entire nations with one Gundam. I've seen it time and time again. You can't fool me. I'm already keeping an eye on you. The moment I start seeing these robots start being painted in white and start being given names like 01020304105 we start getting our our five high scores going through and just basically making the plot of, of Gundam Wing come true we're going to be out for you we're we're basically going to say that's it we're, we 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 know where this is going that that's that's it you win gg but ladies and gentlemen i'm just warning you the rise of the Gundam army is coming soon. Folks, that is going to do it for this episode of Eagle Eyes on Tech. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. And I do encourage you to check out the daily podcast, The Early Bird Briefing, which you can find wherever you found this podcast or at anchor.fm slash early B-I-R-B briefing. And check out my Twitch page at twitch.tv slash eaglefalcon. Things are going to be a bit wonky for a bit as I'm looking at relocating, but hopefully we'll be back to live broadcasts soon. Take care. actually come up with the battle plan for how to handle the incoming Gundam invasion. The first step is going to in fact finding a countermeasure. We know they're going to be using high school boys, but 
If there's one thing that anime has taught us, their weakness is with yaoi fangirls shipping them with each other. This only means one thing. We must begin recruiting fan fiction writers at anime conventions. So please, go to your anime conventions and sign up now to write as much Gundam smut as you can. Your country depends on it, maybe. Also, don't look up what Yaoi is. You will regret it. <laughs>